0: If you're a network operator or administrator, there's no doubt you've had the ticket or call claiming the network is slow. You log into the firewall or device closest to the user and you pull a PCAP. You open the PCAP, but what are you really looking for? What are some clear indicators that can help you identify a poor network experience? Do you know the difference between an HTTP GET request and an HTTP CONNECT request? And what would that tell you about the network? I love looking at packets, but admittedly, I don't know 100% of what I'm looking at. When I want to learn more, I have to turn to the experts, and that's why I've asked our two guests to join us here and help us make sense of what we're looking at in PCAPs. Now, I'm pretty fortunate. I get to do both network engineering and network security. And nothing makes you feel more like a digital forensic investigator from TV, like digging through a PCAP, watching all the colors and packets and protocols scrolling by the screen, carving up network traffic and extracting the needle from the haystack. Throughout my CCIE studies, I've augmented nearly every lesson and lab with a PCAP to better understand the protocols and their operations. If looking at network packets to better understand network performance or network forensics is your cup of tea, then sit back while we talk to Tom Peterson and Jasper Bongertz about packets and why the details matter.
1: So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to mention today's sponsor, NVIDIA. NVIDIA is positioned as a leader in open networking, providing end-to-end solutions at all layers of the software and hardware stack. So keep listening as we'll be talking more about what NVIDIA is doing in
0: networking later on in today's episode. All right, since this is the first time you guys have been on the podcast, I'd like to take a moment and have each of you introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you made digging into packets a profession. Uh, Tom, let's start with you. Hi, so my name's Tom. Um, I live up in New Hampshire, kind of out in the woods. Uh, I got the wood
2: stove right next to me. Um, I got my start looking at packets at the Interoperability Lab at the University of New Hampshire. Um, So what we did there is, you know, a lot of testing between cross-vendors. I remember starting and trying to learn networking via books, looking at RFCs, And then once I got a chance to actually look at the packets, all of that really kind of clicked and all of what I was reading started to make sense. Once I got a chance to actually look at what's happening. Um, Right now I work at QA Cafe. I work on a product called CloudShark, which is a web-based interface uh, to the packets. Um, And I'm really excited to be here. It's great to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're glad to have you as well. Awesome. And Jasper?
2: Yeah, my name is Jasper Brongertz.
0: Um,
3: I started working on totally different things than networking, so I started in the video games industry. I worked on some of the LucasArts games, the German ones, and uh, some of the role-playing games, uh, AD&D stuff. Then I moved into a database consultant role, so I know databases and programming database application stuff, until I finally, in 2003, uh, I moved into the network um, analysis business sort of by becoming a pre engineer for Sniffer Pro, Sniffer Portables, Sniffer, um, all the Sniffer things and I didn't know anything about packets so I, I sold this stuff and then people started asking me about, hey, uh, can you tell me how this all works because now we have the tool but we don't know what it shows us and that's how I got into it. I tried to learn, just like Tom, I tried to learn from books but never got anywhere and for me... Um, I found out that looking at packages is the best way and using books to read about what I'm not understanding is my way of learning things. So that's how I ended up here. And now I'm doing most more or less network analysis and network forensics and internet response stuff.
0: Yeah, very cool. So, so Jasper, it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, The last time I saw you was in California. You were giving a talk at uh, Cisco live uh, Mm -hmm. last year, I think, uh, uh, San Diego and that was yeah. really awesome actually that session was like so packed there was standing room only I thought I couldn't get in because I didn't <laughs> yeah because I didn't sign up for it uh, early enough and, yeah, we and had that, 200, that was very cool we
3: had 250 people on the waiting list I think it it was more than we could fit into the room so yeah i was really a, a little bit annoyed by that because um, if you want to see what i'm having to say it's sad if they can't get in but i was glad that you could make make it
0: yeah no it was awesome and in fact i had a couple of good takeaways from that day that uh, that i still remember to this day you know and it's just one of those things like you know when you see it you can remember it yeah. and uh, and tom i haven't talked to you since a few years ago actually you and i did a webinar Right. For QA Cafe or for Cloud Shark uh, for one of the packet capture challenges. I think it was the Halloween or Christmas PCAP challenge, one or the other. Yeah. Was I, th- Halloween,
2: I think Was it the, I think it might have been the Christmas one. You were one of the few people that actually went all the way through and really tried to solve everything and wrote, just wrote a great write up. And it was great yeah. to talk to you about that and some of the tricks we put in there. That. Yeah,
0: it, it was a lot of fun. And I love CTFs, as you know, Jordan has heard me talk about on our last time, but definitely PCAP CTFs are awesome, because it's just like, the answers are there. Like the needle is in the haystack. Can you find it, you know, and that's what it is, it's how, how quick and how efficient can you become at that, you know, and I think that's what really separates, you know, sort of the professionals, you know, who do this professionally, um, or at that level. Um, versus people who are are just messing around and just learning a little bit is is about finding that needle quicker and becoming more efficient with the tools that are available so um so with that um I, I like to kind of part the Cs with our first question. I kind of want to figure out who is on what side uh, by the nomenclature question, right uh, pcaps or trace files what do you call them Tom pcap definitely Jasper? pcap
2: sorry Jasper Jasper. <laughs>
3: Um, I have to admit, I used to call them trace file because that's, I think that's how it was at Sniffer, uh, at Sniffer University, I think, even called them. And I was a certified Sniffer or whatever expert, I don't know. And I taught the classes, and I think they talked about them as traces. But right now, for me, it's either trace um, or PCAP or PCAPNG. Um, I don't really care. I mean, I I can work with all of them and I can use the one that you are familiar with. So um, I found out that a lot of people don't know what a trace is. And uh, on on the Wireshark questionnaire uh, page, they often tell us about, they have this log that they want to send us. And they basically mean a PCAP. And I mean, people calling them a lot of different things, but I'm fine with either one. As long as there are packets, everything's good.
1: So you can tell that uh, a trace file comes from somebody who is looking at it from a debugging perspective, right? Like that's because the the trace is more involved, right, than just packets. So you, yeah. traces on processes, traces on on all kinds of different things. I think the PCAP is the more specific term, right? Like, it's just because it's packet capture, like, it's what we're yeah. looking at
3: and, and we could really go crazy and start asking, like, do you uppercase them or lowercase them? And if you do PCAP-NG, uh, I'm, I'm it's the, the beginning uppercase part. and the NG <laughs> lowercase. And I had
0: all of this. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of PCAPs and actually I hadn't heard trace files, um, through my bringing up until I met people who were older than I was who used sniffer. Right. right. And I yeah. and <laughs> yeah, called them trace files and I, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, what do you mean a trace file? But, but yeah, it was just a, just sort of a nomenclature thing. Um, so before we start talking about packets and flows and, and stuff like that, we have to be able to get the packets to look at them. And so that's one of the things I want to talk about with you guys, because there are some different ways to be able to capture packets, right? There's, uh, you can capture packets directly from the host, you know, from, uh, from an endpoint. Um, you can capture packets from a span port, you know, and, uh, a, an analyzer port. Um, on a switch, a network switch or an infrastructure device, um, you can do a physical tap, you know, a physical, either electrical tap or optical tap. Um, and, and I guess other various devices, right? Like, I know most firewalls have a PCAP uh, functionality in them as well. So sort of what are the differences um, in those capturing techniques? Um, and then the PCAP it generates, uh, what would make them different or or which one is the most preferred for you guys? And then the last thing I want to throw in there is what about wireless? Right. We always talk about tapping the wire. You know, what about wireless? So, so why don't we talk about um, uh, what is the preferred method for for capturing from the wire? Well,
3: for me and. I'm probably the one who most people ask about capturing because I wrote the uh, capture uh, playbook, packet packet capture playbook. Um, For me, the answer is not um, one of the four, but for me is the one that you can use and need to use. Um, It depends on what kind of problem you're trying to solve and what kind of limitations you have. Sometimes um, you have to capture on the host because Maybe everything else is off limits to you. So you're only master of your own device and none of the network infrastructure between you and the the server on the other side is available to you. um, very very often in, in cloud uh, computing situations. I mean, you could show up with a sniffer at Amazon and their data center and ask them to let you in to capture something, but they probably won't. So um, maybe you only can capture on your own device. Um, of course, um, it's always a question of which kind of precision do you need? So if you need the highest precision, because somebody's is telling you, hey, this device is l- losing packets or this switch is, is just, black hole for packets and then you can't capture on your on your laptop to prove that but you need to capture on the inbound and outbound interfaces to show that the packet goes in but it doesn't come out on the other side and in that way you can't even trust the span port because it may not give you the packet even though it was there so then you need a tap so it depends on what kind of problem you're trying to troubleshoot
1: that last piece is important to me um there's one of those lessons i learned um well, years ago, but I would say middle of my career is, you know, I kind of had blind faith in span, <laughs> right, that that you would get what you needed. And then you run into that device that the reason why the device is having problems is because it's already overcommitted. Um, and then, then you're trying to pull a span from it as well. And it just doesn't give you everything that you need to see. Um, so I, I agree. I completely agree with your answer there about, you know, like how precise do you need to be? And that if it absolutely needs to be precise, a tap is going to be the most unbiased you know, version of, of what you're looking at, but often, you know, often I don't have, I mean, I'm I'm a consultant, right? So I go into a bunch of different environments. I use what I got, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like a span port's readily available. I can use that. I'll use that and just know that it might be slightly biased um, if that switches what's having problems, at least in, in my experience. But if I was building my own network today and monitoring was important, I'd be considering TAPS.
3: Yeah, it's a yeah. little bit like this camera question, right? Which which one is the camera? Which which camera is best? And the answer answer usually is the one that you have that you have with you. And if that's your cell phone, then that's the best camera to have. And um, that's the same in the in the capture situation. So um, sometimes you don't have a tap, or um, you can't access the span port. Um, my my guideline usually is like if you have a a, a thing that you need to troubleshoot. Uh, you need to look at it like an investigation the police would do um would they trust somebody they're suspecting as uh, somebody doing the crime a perpetrator or something would they let him provide the clues or the the proof of that he didn't or did do it no you wouldn't uh in that situation you would try to get a third kind of option like uh, uh csi guy or whatever um so it depends on can you trust the device that is part of your problem chain or the 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 packet path um if you can't then you cannot ask it for anything even a spend port
0: right yeah yeah that's very important um it depends what kind of what kind of answers you need or what kind of questions you're asking or you know what you intend to see with the network Um, very cool
1: Kind of shifting the other direction though we talked or i mentioned the idea of having bias right like in in a span port potentially um some of the some of the the newer monitoring fabrics allow you to introduce biases intentionally um and, and i think there's some some interesting things you can do with those things and so i'm thinking thinking about big switch which no longer is a thing right like it's all integrated into it got bought out by um arista right um but uh with their big monitoring fabric and so like you know, that's great because with that span port, I then can be decisive about what I'm actually capturing, you know, rather than because with a, with a tap, like I'm going to get all or nothing. It's going to be a one to one ratio of packets to whatever. Whereas if I if I take a tap and send that to a, a monitoring fabric, then I can put some intelligence around it. So maybe you do want some bias, right? Like, I mean, it's all about what you're looking to get um, and what you're trying to do with the data. I mean, <laughs> There's our classical answer. We landed it. It depends. There it
0: is again. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. E- even in capturing packets, the answer depends. It depends. Um, now, I, you know, this is something that's sort of a, uh, an age old discussion, right? Is is what is the best tool for capturing. But something that I don't often hear uh, in the same discussion is wireless, right? It's always taps versus spans versus capture from the host, the source of the destination. But how do you deal with wireless? Is that really the same animal? You know, are there are there better uh, capture cards than than others? Uh, you know, how do you guys deal with wireless?
2: I try not to deal with wireless. <laughs> I don't. I try not to deal with capturing those packets. It's, it's yeah. just not a technology I'm super familiar with, to be honest. Wow.
3: Um, I totally agree. Um, I uh, try to avoid wireless because somehow it it, it is a different. Um, it, it requires a different kind of technician. You need to be more of a radio wave guy kind of guy. Um, and, um, and capturing wireless is uh, very not very reliable in a way of, hey, if I'm sitting here and the device is over there, I'm going to get all the packets with this kind of capture card. Um, you need to have the right capture card. You need to have the right modes. Um, you need to have the right computer, the right drivers. And then you need to know where the devices are. And sometimes you have crazy situations like you're on one side of the AP and the the guy you want to capture is on the other side. So they're, they're talking to each other, but you don't see it because the packets don't get to you um, because it's out of range for you. So... Um, I think there's a whole lot of challenges in capturing wireless. And I know I've supported some uh, law enforcement captures for forensics uh, in the past. And uh, they often had a problem. If if the guy they wanted to monitor on was on wireless, uh, you don't even know where he is. I mean, he could be anywhere. And usually that's a hotel situation. So I've even seen one one, uh, thing where they... um, took down the wireless to force the guy onto the wired thing so that they knew in which room he is uh, and they knew in which room he was so that he could that they could capture him Um, because he can't do that on wireless. He could be anywhere. So wireless is a whole different cup of tea.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I, I think you brought up something interesting there. Cause I mean, there's when you, when you say capture, what are you capturing? Like if you're just capturing packets, do you like, is it, You're looking for the data that your users are sending and receiving. Like it's going to be much easier to capture that at the controller or off of the AP wired connection back to the switch. If you're looking to see was this wireless frame transmitted (laughs) and received, that's an RF question. Like it goes well out of the scope of what most people are doing. When you talk about packet capture there, we're talking about radio interference and we're talking about all kinds of different things, completely different set of tools. And even if you could see that transaction happen, you wouldn't actually be able to extract the data because you're looking at a completely different set of things there. And so I, I think you have to kind of better frame the question, right? Like, <laughs> is it is it capturing the data that's traversing your wireless network, in which case captured on the wired side because you're going to make your life a lot easier, or is it, I want to see everything that was tried to be transmitted over wireless and whether or not it was successful, in which case, go hire a wireless guy.
3: And that's that's absolutely correct because um there's uh persons out there and we see them at Field Day uh, every once in a while for the for the mobile uh field day, I think. Yeah. Um, I think they know more about all of this than we all together, um, or at least than I yeah. do. And yeah. I usually would I point to it, them like um, by, if, by <laughs> if, Yeah. If somebody asking me like, Hey, we have this uh storage space and we need Wi Fi for the scanners and everything and there's trouble with it, I'm like don't ask me, I'm, I'm, I'm not the right person for this. You need somebody with a with a completely different kind of tool set. I mean, I don't even check if cabling is correct. So cable testers, <laughs> not not my kind of thing. I, I don't do this. Um, you need somebody else to do that for you because it's a different,
0: different uh, uh, challenge. Yeah, I'll let you guys in on one little secret. And, and if anyone happens to listen to this, they can turn down the audio. But um, I don't know how to make cables. <laughs> you yeah. don't. All right. Okay. You can turn it. You can turn it back. <laughs> You've avoided uh, okay. a whole
1: bunch of very manual work. That's what. Right. The, that's what you you just meant because knowing how to make cables means that you end up being the guy who makes cables. You know how oh, I yeah. know that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> because me and my boss, when we moved data centers, built. Custom cables for every network piece of gear that went into this new data center. It wasn't a big data center, it was like ten racks of gear, but it was every sing- And I was so so good at making cables by the time I was done with it. And I've not made a cable sense, and I've not told anybody that I know how to make a cable sense because I'm like I've done it. I'm done. Uh-oh. No, they do. <laughs> no, they know. Well, I'm, I'm kind of past that at this point. So uh, it would be a rare occasion somebody would be asking me to make cables
2: now. Hopefully, we're all past that now. But yeah, at the University of New Hampshire, I had to make cables till my fingers. Probably started to bleed okay never had to do that but
3: we we had an (laughs) office once where one of our younger employees had to do the cabling in the walls and they have these tools where you can just press down the wires onto the this metal connectors and we didn't tell him that you can just press them down so he he stripped all of them every single wire before he did that (laughs) and afterwards we told him like no you don't need to do that you can just push them down and they will be cut from the from the pickup things or whatever it is that you press them into. And he was like, really? Couldn't you have told me it could have I could have done this in an hour instead of a whole day.
0: So yeah. That's funny. Um, so I wanted to get into a uh, uh, network performance. I wanted to talk about network performance a little bit. And you know one of the the things we always hear is the network is slow. I think anytime you're in an operations center, that call is coming in from somewhere about some application or some website or some portion of the network, the network is slow. So (laughs) they never call when the network is too fast, you know, when everything's working correctly, they only call when it's too slow. Uh, What are some common performance issues that can be identified from looking at PCAPs, I'm wondering?
2: I'd say it's the application being slow. You can actually look and see and view the TCP packets Maybe see a server accepting a connection, and then waiting a second, two seconds to respond, and it—that's just the proof is right there in the packets. It's not the network; the server got the message, the server's chewing on it, processing it before it actually sends any any real data.
3: Yeah, I think the the hard part is um, the server guys. They look at their CPU memory monitoring. I don't know, whatever. Um, They never know what the machine is actually doing on the network. And if you look at the packets, you can see if it's pausing or if it's sending like crazy or... Whatever it's doing, you you can see in the packets, but they don't know. And very often, um, if they look at their um, memory counters and they see I'm only at 20% memory and I only have 15% CPU, and uh, for them, the server is fine, the application is fine, everything. But on the network, we can see, well, on a TCP level, everything is working as it should, but there's a pause when data needs to be generated, created, prepared, whatever, and being sent out. And then we know, oh, it's the application on that server because um, from the handshake, we can see the TCP stack is quite fast or very fast, but then you see, okay, the delay is more in the application, but that requires a lot of experience because you need to know what you have to look for. And uh, my, my initial answer uh, would have been, If you're having trouble in the network look at DNS and then look at DNS and then look at DNS and then look at (laughs) the rest of them because that's usually what makes it slow I mean right now we had the problem at the site that I'm working on that they have to um, they're putting firewalls new firewalls in and adding rules and everything and they always blame either the network or the firewall because they know that we're resegmenting the network and putting firewalls in and It was really a shocking experience to me that they said this application is not working, must be the firewall. And then I found out, well, they don't know how to troubleshoot. So they didn't know how to use Netstat to see if the port on the server that they wanted to connect to was even there because it wasn't. So it doesn't matter what the network does. It's always the network because they didn't know how to check if it's not on their part. So they didn't know how to use Netstat. They didn't know how to use Traceroute. you could tell that the packets, if you, if I captured it and I saw the sin and the reset coming back and I could see the hop count and I knew it went over the firewall because the hop count was uh, 127, not 128, which Windows Server would have done. So I knew it crossed the firewall on the way back and it was reset and it was just one hop away from the firewall. So it must be the server. And then I went there and did the next. And I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? The, the port isn't even, the application is not on that port. What are you doing? So very often...
0: They just don't know. Okay. Okay. So, so actually let me, let me, let me take a pause right now because if you aren't, if you aren't quick enough to pick up all this stuff, Jasper just blasted through, then you missed it. Okay. But there were some, some very professional key identifiers in there that he just went through because, because he's a professional in this industry. Okay. Um, He talked about, he saw the sin and then he saw a reset. Okay. Yes. Um, so that means that the sin made it to the host, uh, to the destination or an intermediate device, intercepted that and sent a reset back. Um, Normally, you can see that normally from a hop count. If you can sort of estimate how far away that is, that's the second point I want to make. He quickly said, oh, I could tell it's a Windows server because the, the hop count was 127. He's he's already. Uh, making an educated guess of what the remote operating system is based on the hop count of the packets. You know, and this is why I wanted to bring you guys in to talk about this because, because I've learned a lot from from you guys and, and everyone else sort of who's in this sort of packet visibility industry. All the guys at, at, at SharkFest um, I'm able to take these tips and these things and apply them in real life. and, and they are so on point. Um, all the time I'm, when I have to look at packets, I'm looking at like the TTL field because I want to see, you know how far away uh, uh, if you're getting a reset and it has, you know, a hop count of uh, 63 then I know that reset is coming from your firewall, that the immediate routing device, you know, it's one one hop count away, Uh, not from the destination, you know, where Mm. I would get sort of an oddball number uh, for reset. Or the difference between between a reset and a drop.
3: Yeah, that would be a 64, not a 63. Because if your routing device is sending it back to you, it doesn't have a hop between you and the routing device. So it's a 64, not a 63.
0: And there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason why he's the expert. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Can't so let that one all,
3: all the devices, they start at 64, 128, or 255. So if you see one less than that, there was something between you and the sender of this packet. So if yeah. you get something back from your firewall between you and the server, it would be uh, one of these three numbers. If it's a device directly behind it, it's 63 or 127 or 254. That's how you can tell. And that's how we calculate the, the distance that we have to travel. So we always look at the DTL and say, okay, uh, this is coming away from, I don't know, if I see a one, 118, I know, well, there's uh, 10 hops between me and that device. Sorry to uh, interrupt, but uh, people would uh, otherwise probably I, say, hey,
0: uh, what are you doing? It's- uh, No, I appreciate the, the <laughs> correction. No, it's it's very much needed. Um, but, but yeah, I just wanted to take a pause right there because you had just like very casually breezed through, um, a troubleshooting thing and you were calling out some very important points that I think people might be listening, um, are just missing. And there were some very key indicators, um, that, that when you see them every day, you know, it's just, you know, very common, uh, to just, to just breeze through them. So, um, uh, Tom, I wanted to take it over to you, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, applications uh, are the common problem or, or can be a common problem that's easily identified, some indicators that you can see in the network. Um, I'm wondering how does, well, I guess I was gonna ask sort of how do, how do virtual machines make this harder to troubleshoot? And I guess what I mean is, it depends where you're looking in the wire, right? Um, but sometimes there could be network congestion from a hypervisor level You know, where the VM actually, the the VM that's handle that's receiving and and sending the TCP is, it actually doesn't have an issue. Um, Does that make it much more harder having things sort of containerized and virtualized um, and so many things sharing the same physical medium? I found
2: capturing on VirtualBox VMware definitely very tricky. You're not really seeing what's going on um, if you're trying to capture on that hypervisor host. Um, another place I've actually seen it that I thought was really interesting is a USB adapter and using a one gigabyte USB adapter, and then using a network tap to capture and capturing on both ends, seeing just completely different things. So if you are using something like a virtual emulated network interface, um, if you capture on both sides and you put a tap on the other side, you'd be surprised just. The differences that you end up seeing at a so TCP you mean, layer.
0: So you mean capturing from maybe from the the virtual machine bridge. Yep. And then capturing at the NIC level exactly, and seeing the and seeing the difference in the in the uh, the network conversation there exactly. And, and that's something anyone can do on their laptop, right? As as just sort of an experiment to see the differences with a network tap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool.
2: It was fascinating with the USB adapter. Just the USB adapter is holding all the packets and then bursting them out. But on the host, it looks like everything's going fine.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. That is very cool. That is very cool.
1: We're gonna take a quick break right here to talk some more about today's sponsor. If you haven't heard, NVIDIA has been making some significant investments into networking, positioning themselves as the leader in open networking. They have built a portfolio that now allows them to provide end-to-end networking solutions that encompass both the hardware and the software in use in your networking infrastructure. Combining the benefits of NVIDIA Mellanox Spectrum-based switches, powered by the industry's leading performing ASIC, with the latest network operating system enhancements, including NVIDIA Cumulus Linux, Sonic, and NVIDIA Mellanox Onyx. This approach offers you choice and flexibility while removing restrictions throughout your whole networking stack. If you haven't had the opportunity to get familiar with NVIDIA Cumulus yet, they offer a free and easy way to do so with Cumulus in the cloud. The best part, it's all free to try out. You can head on over to cumulusnetworks.com slash automation pod to check it out for yourself. That's cumulusnetworks.com slash automation pod. Also, that link will be available in the show notes of today's episode. So I'm going to take a minute to tell you about the NetDevOps Survey. So this survey, it's a vendor-neutral and collaborative project. It's really intended to help understand how network operators are using automation in their network today. It's meant to cut through the hype and give a real-world picture about what is going on. So this isn't the first time. Um, Last year it was run. There were over 300 engineers who responded, and it really helped give some insights as to what the state of network automation is. So, obviously, that helps companies in figuring out, you know, how to build products and tools to help bridge the gap from where you're at to where you're going. But it also helps people like me to figure out what we should be talking about here on Network Collective or what we should be writing about or what type of content is needed to help make that happen as well. Right. It's an open source effort, which means both the development of the survey and the results, they're available to everybody. So it's not a closed thing. Everybody can, you know, pull and extract the data that they want and to learn what there is to learn from it, so it's actually a really great effort just for the industry as a whole. Um, I'd really encourage you to take a minute to go there, and uh, and fill out the survey if if you're doing automation, if you're thinking about automation, if you can spell automation, just uh, just go uh, go uh, go share where you're at in your journey. It really does help a lot of people in the industry understand you know where we're at, and helps frame that conversation. So if you're interested in doing that, the link will be in the show notes. But uh, if you're just raring to go, it's, uh, it's a bit.ly link. So bit.ly slash net dash survey dash 2020. So again, that's bit.ly slash net devops dash survey dash 2020.
0: Jordan and I just came out of a network field day and a lot of, uh, well, some of the products in network field day are about network visibility and sort of performance monitoring. Um, and there's a lot of really awesome commercial tools out there. Um Is there any sort of advantage to taking a look at the packets themselves uh, when there's an issue or or relying on sort of commercial tools to tell you the story of of network performance? Uh, For me, the packet is, at least if
3: they're captured in a a precise way, that is very important. Um, The packets are the final truth. And um, what I have seen in commercial products showing me like fancy graphs and stats and statistics and all these things um, sometimes you wonder how different they are from what you see in the pcap if you look at the pcap itself so i've, I've um, looked at a lot of tools and I gave them pcaps that i know very well because i used them in, in uh, trainings that i did and i knew basically every single packet knew exactly what they were doing and what these tools sometimes show me was like completely nonsense it was so bad that I really wonder um, what they based their their displays on. Um, I hope the more expensive ones today are better. But uh, for me, the PCAP is always the thing that I go to to cross-check if what they are showing me is actually true. Because very often, it's not entirely
2: true. And Tom,
0: do you have anything to add?
2: I think that summed it up pretty well, Jasper. I mean, <laughs> you really do have to get down to that PCAP level. You don't know what your tools are doing. Um, you don't necessarily know what that that device is actually showing you as, as what's going on in the network. Um, and I think something, Jasper, that you've also said before in the past is even a PCAP, it's going to show you what happened on the network, not necessarily what both devices received and processed. Um, that can yeah, think, also be different.
1: Yeah, I think the key here is perspective. And so many times when we talk about troubleshooting, troubleshooting happens through a window. It happens through, you know, we're looking at a particular point um, in the network or on a system and we're looking at a particular time, right? So like you have to keep context when you're looking at that data. I think that's true whether you're talking about a tool which is giving you information, where are they getting that information from and what does that mean? Like, how are they collecting it? You have to understand the context of the data you're seeing, but it's also true when you get into the into the actual individual packets, because you have to understand the context, where was this collected? Well, at the top, we talked about different collection methods that might have some bias. You have to understand what bias may be present from the way that they were collected. Jasper brought up yet again about the preciseness, right? So the idea being is you have to understand, it's not just that the packets don't lie. The, the, the packets are telling you a story, but the story is going to have some bias and you have to understand what that bias is. What is the perspective of that? Because, you know, oftentimes, you know, uh, like uh, something disappears, um, you know, thinking about just packet traces that I've looked at, just, you know, something disappears. So w- w- something sets a request. There's absolutely no response. You see a bunch of retransmits and then eventually just dies out, session dies out um, because it times out. That could be anything. That could be the host receiving the packet or not receiving the packet, doing nothing with it. There could be a firewall in the middle. That's not sending a reset. That's just dropping the packets, right? Like it could be anything along the path. If I'm, if my perspective is, is just from the host itself, I'm going to have absolutely no clue. If it's a firewall in the middle and my perspective is at the end host, I'm never even going to see it. Like I don't even know what's going on. I have to be collecting it beyond where it's sent <laughs> But this side of the thing that's dropping it, to be able to see both sides of that, if I'm looking at the wrong place in the network, the packets aren't lying to me. The packets that are there are, are the truth of that particular link of that particular time, but it's not telling me the whole story yep. because there are multiple devices along this path that's in the way. And so perspective is everything.
3: Exactly. So, very often the first question in any kind of capture situation is, where do we want to start? And um, the most common one actually is to go to the client PC that has the problem. and sometimes you just go directly to the server if you know that there's multiple people having the same problem and then you capture at the server directly. But uh, in in some situations, we start with one capture and then we find out that the one capture we did is fine for that location and that uh, point in time, but we need to have, for example, two at the same time, like at the server, and at the client and doing that at the same time. So in some situations we decided after the first analysis to do a second one and start moving around capture points. And if it really gets crazy, I think the biggest one that I that I ended up with were about six or eight capture points simultaneously. And then, trying to compare all the packets and see what's going on. Uh, We had load balancer, we had reverse proxies, we had encryption, we had um, virtual hardware, we had the client, um, we had databases, we had infrastructure, DNS and everything. And we needed all of that to see what is actually going on in the whole application because everything was involved. And then it really gets crazy. And you need a lot of
0: hardware to do that. Wow. Um, you know, I think that that goes back to one of the first things we talked about is what is the best way to capture packets and why. And I think capturing from both ends of the conversation, uh, is probably the, the best way, the best way to get maybe I would say the full story, um, but at least two perspectives at once, um, uh, which is more telling than, than one perspective. Uh, which I think that's what Jordan was alluding to, right? You, when you're troubleshooting and you're only looking at one PCAP, you're only looking at one perspective of the conversation, yeah, one point of view.
1: I think like all troubleshooting, you know, again, and I hate to do this, it depends, right? Like there's different, <laughs> there are different methodologies to troubleshooting. And and oftentimes we have to use our intuition as people who've done this a lot. Like you see a situation, uh, Jasper brought it up. He He mentioned like multiple people having issue at the same time it probably makes sense to start at the server, right? Because mm-hmm. like logically that's, there's going to be something central that's affecting multiple people. maybe it's not a server, maybe it's a firewall, but we know it's not most likely not the client. Whereas one client having an issue says, we're probably going to get the best picture from the client. If this is, if this is just one node having a problem and just like troubleshooting, not, not actually even looking at packets, just troubleshooting in general, there's different methodologies that you can employ you start at the top and work your way down start at the bottom work your way up you start divide and conquer start in the middle and work both ways out like like that's still true on a packet capture and what you know if you don't have the experience exactly what you said tony get both perspectives at both ends and work your way in okay that's that's a great strategy we don't know that it's going to net you your results right away but you're going to get a broader picture than starting at one or the other and it might give you some hints about where you need to go Whereas the more experience you have, the more intuition you build, because I've seen this before, I know what this looks like, this feels mm. like this. And intuition is a great tool in troubleshooting. It's usually that great first tool with the one caveat that it is also a cognitive bias. <laughs> <laughs> right? Intuition can lead you down the wrong way. And we have, we have something called confirmation bias, which leads us to, to look for evidence supporting our first intuitive guess. Um, don't get stuck in that, but the idea is use that intuition if you've built it to kind of identify where the best place to start is. But if you don't have that, just do it with some structure. It doesn't matter where you start. Start at both ends and work your way in, start in the middle and work your way out. Both work, right? But you you don't just like, I'm going to pick one place and I'm going to pick another place. And then I don't know where to go next. So now I'll pick the middle. Like that doesn't make any sense because you're not doing any type of structure to it. Make sure that you have a plan. And when you say, I'm going to look at these places and I'm going to work my way in or I'm going to start in the middle and work my way out, whatever. it Just just have a structure to it.
3: Yeah, Confirmation bias is a, a huge thing. And uh, I think everybody who does this kind of analysis or any kind of analysis has to uh, stumble over it once in a while or in the beginning to learn that you shouldn't be doing this. And um, in, in uh, my uh, company, we have at least two people who do can do this kind of thing. And we have this behavior of, if I say, hey, um, I looked at this problem and I found it, my colleague will immediately say, no, prove it to me. And then I'm like, okay, um, I have this, this, and he he will try to take it apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's almost, he's probably on the same level than I am. Um, it's hard to say, he, he can do some things better than I do, um, but we both are pretty good at TCP and at Tom knows him, it's, it's Lundy. Um, right. Usually when, when he does something or I do something, we always are like trying to break it and make proof that the other one is wrong. That's and period. if we, if we, if we can do that at some point, we know, okay, and we can write this into the customer report yep. because if he can't break it and he's on my level, and usually if we're honest, most customers aren't on that same level because right, so they would have hired us yeah. in that way. Um, so if, if we are sure that we got it right, we can write it and we can defend it against anyone um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter who it, who it is um, and that's how we try it. Sometimes it gets a little too harsh, sometimes maybe, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's something that developed over the years and it's yeah. really yeah. helpful.
1: I have a plug for a completely non-technical thing here. Um, there's a book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, or Thinking Fast and Slow, or something like that. Daniel Kahneman, I think, is the author. It's an excellent book on cognitive bias, um, talking about how cognitive biases and like I like you read the book and it's like yeah, I've experienced that. I've either done that myself or I've seen it happen time and time and time again. Um, and if you've seen it happen time and time and time again, and you say you haven't done it. You most likely have, and you just haven't recognized it yet. And the best thing we do is we all have cognitive biases. The best thing we can do is learn about them so that hopefully we can overcome them. We get over confirmation bias because the fact that we understand and recognize that we have confirmation bias. And then we say, okay, I can't actively just keep pursuing the first thing that I assume to be true. I have to look for alternative solutions. It's the only way you get over cognitive biases. In troubleshooting, cognitive, cognitive biases will kill you. So if you haven't read the book, you should go read the book. It's an excellent book. It's an easy read. Um, I get nothing. I don't know Dana Simon. <laughs> this is not a plug that I get anything for. I'm not giving you an Amazon link that that gives us, you know, it's a cutback of this or anything like that. No, it's just uh, it's just one of those ones that was uh, very formative for me to read, uh, and I think a lot of people would get out of it. And since we're sitting here talking about it, I'll throw it out there.
3: Yeah, um, I think I'll go check it out. Um, I wanted to go uh, back to the question about the the graphical tools. Um, The one problem that we have with packets, even though packets are great, sometimes there's too many of them. And um, I'm one of the persons or people that if you tell me, hey, I've got a PCAP that is a terabyte, um, I know how much that is and I'm not really scared by it, but I know that um, putting that into a tool like Wireshark won't work. It's just too much. So for that kind of task, I use different tools or I do different things. And I think the, the graphical ones and the, the professional ones, the ones that are sold for quite a lot of money, are good to handle that amount of data. But I wouldn't buy one unless it comes with the option of, and we can also store the package so that you can verify what we're showing you. Um, if, if somebody is selling me a tool that can't do that, or where I had at least have the option to add some sort of packet capture to prove what it's showing me, I wouldn't trust
0: it.
1: Hmm. That's I, interesting. I would uh, I would also just for idea perspective there, networks are big and complex. There's a lot going on on them. The total number of packets that are flowing across a network at any point in time is astronomical. Um, while the packets are the absolute truth, you can't do everything in the packets. Like You, you, can't, you can't use that as your baseline, as this is how I find out how my network is behaving, and this is how I do this. This is the tool that you use when you need absolute truth with no influence or as little influence as possible. The tools that you're talking about give you, I think, the broader brushstrokes. To me, it's the difference between uh, like in the U.S., like a, a zip code and a full address. <laughs> the zip code gives you the region. Like, And and any post office when they're sending mail doesn't care about the absolute address until the mail is in the in the region where the address exists. Because up until that point, the only thing that matters is the zip code. Let's just get the mail to the right place. It broad brushstrokes. <laughs> I'm going to measure analytics based off a of zip code until I get into that one region. And then I can measure analytics based off of the physical address so the more detailed is great when you need it but oftentimes it's too much information it's we don't need it for you know how are my links performing today broadly like the, the, you know like i don't need to get into tcp windowing to understand how you know my circuit between one site and another site is working or whether my firewall is doing its job um but there are times when the application isn't working and i can't tell easily from those broad tools that that's when you say okay I know what I need. <laughs> Let's get the information I need so I can look at that granular piece of information and really dig in.
2: Yeah, I've heard the analogy before of, you know, just binoculars versus a telescope versus down to the microscope. And that's when you're looking at packets as you're at the microscope level.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy, right? Yeah, for how much magnification you're, you're applying.
2: I can't take credit for that. It wasn't me, but <laughs> I, I, I did really like that when I heard it.
3: Yeah, we can oh, credit that to Gerald, maybe. I think Gerald Combs <laughs> said it. I Why so? a shark is a microscope? Yep. And you can't put an elephant on the microscope. You need to slice it first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so, I guess so. Um, it, you guys uh, have both been past speakers at and uh, and will be participating in the, the upcoming Shark Fest. Um, I want to talk about Shark Fest a little bit because... Um, when I want to learn more about diving into packets and, and understanding what the packets are telling me, uh, again, like I said, at the top of the show, I want to turn to the experts and, uh, shark fest is a, is an awesome opportunity where you get all the experts in one location. And, uh, I wonder if you guys can tell me anything about, uh, what you guys, uh, will be talking about, or at least I know Tom, you're giving, a uh a talk this year you gave one last year as well i think jasper's given many talks over the years but i think uh, we discussed before the show that you're sitting this one out you might be in on the uh, the doctor session uh but tom can you tell me a little bit about what your session is about this year yeah i'm going to be talking about um
2: analyzing honeypot captures so i kind of set up a research honeypot um out on a digital ocean droplet Literally, all it does is it accepts any TCP connection and listens to the first few packets. Whoever tries to connect to it sends, um, and we're just going to be going over what what happened when I did that. It's there's a lot of bots out there on the net, on the internet. I forget. I think it was somewhere around eight thousand connections per day. I would typically get. Um, Wow.
1: I would have expected the number to be higher, to be quite honest. I would have, uh, yeah.
2: It's a lot of just uh, remote desktop protocol traffic.
1: Uh, really? So most of the bots are just just looking for RDP in? Just scanning RDP
2: blindly. Like it's a Linux host, you know. Um, yeah. They're not doing too much smarts. I also found that the IP address that I got when I set up this droplet from DigitalOcean, must have been used as a as a malware um command and control center <laughs> when i started listening to all these packets i found machines out on the internet that are trying to check in with me and trying to say yep what commands do you want me to run or i've started mining this bitcoin
1: i'm wow. sending it to you if you weren't if you weren't more on the up and up, I mean that might be a good opportunity if you were uh, a bit more of the black hat variety. It depends
2: on the color of your
3: hat, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom is an honorable person, so he wouldn't do that kind of thing. Thank you, Jasper. <laughs> fair
1: enough. Uh, fair enough. But that's uh that's quite interesting. I wouldn't expect uh CNC control message to show start showing up to my server. I, I, I feel I feel like you know, my stuff that I because I have some stuff out on DigitalOcean, like I feel like I need to Hey, well, what's coming in? And just Maybe opening up and, listen. and Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so SharkFest is happening October 12th through the 16th they're not like a sponsor of the show or anything so I'm not getting paid to say that but um, but I will be attending the conference virtually this year um, Jas- Jasper's heavily involved uh, and Tom will be there as well and uh, and that's where I look forward to, to learning from from all the experts and all of their experience um, and and like I said at the top of the show diving into packets has made me a better network engineer um, by by understanding how to more efficiently extract the needle from the haystack um, has made me uh, quicker to solve problems quicker to identify issues um, more so than than colleagues at times Um, and it also helps uh, when you're trying to figure out um, who needs to point the finger in the network right Um, always you know everyone's pointing the finger at the other silos Um, so it's great when you have that evidence to be able to point the finger the other way and say uh, I, I know the issue is not within my domain Um, and then it, it, it's somewhere else. So, um, if, if that's interesting to you, if you feel like, uh, that's something, then I would definitely take a look at shark fest as a, as a conference opportunity, uh, the next time it's available, um, hopefully, and not a virtual one. Um,
3: I mean, yeah. we, we, are, we are very happy that we can do the virtual one because the only other option would have been to have no SharkFest at all. But we had to cancel the physical one this year for obvious reasons. And um, I think all of us who, who've been going to SharkFest will want to uh, have it back in a, in a real conference style because SharkFest it's it's the one conference for me uh, in the year that I need to be at to meet all my friends, all the other crazy people who read packets for fun. Um, and uh, it's really hard to do that in a, in a virtual form because you, the mingling is much harder. I mean, we try to do that. We have a Discord channel set up for it, and there will be Zoom rooms for this kind of thing. Um But it's not really exactly the same, so I hope that next year we have this whole thing behind us and can meet again and uh, do the hallway tracks again and the famous pool track, um, which is the one track where you just decide that all the presentations are not for you and you're going back to the hotel pool. Uh, That's the famous pool
0: track. very cool um i think we want to we want to wrap it up here um if anyone wants to um get more into this on their own you know without going to SharkFest or anything uh what are some great resources that both of you can recommend uh for people who who either want to dive into packets for security reasons or network performance or or anything like that jasper i'll ask you first um usually and that is a question I get a lot. So um usually I recommend
3: if you want to read a book, uh, you can go for the one by Chris Sanders, um, which is uh packet pe- pe- analysis, I think third revision. I think revision.
0: it's I think it's, pra-
3: I think it's practical packet analysis. analysis. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, And if you want to do more of the security thing, um, go for the site, um, what's it called, Tom? Um, Malware. Malware uh,
2: MalwareTrafficAnalysis.net with hyphens in between. That one.
3: Yeah. MalwarePacketAnalysis.net, which is, uh, they have tutorials and they have explanations and they have a questionnaire for most of the PCAPs. And if you want to go into that kind of thing, it's really great uh, resource to start.
0: Yeah, and I believe that is Brad Duncan, right? It's From Brad Duncan, From unit 42 yeah. of Palo Alto yeah. Networks. Yeah, yeah.
3: He, he's a great guy. He has been at Sharkfest too, has been speaking there. He has a totally different Wireshark setup than any any of us um, because he doesn't care about all the performance parameters. He just cares about content stuff. So he's a, he's a great guy. And he's really, I mean, it's so great that he puts all this stuff online for you to learn.
0: Yeah, yeah. His site is full of um, uh, excellent malware samples, a uh, uh, network traffic from different malware samples, and each one is sort of treated like, a, like you guys said, a, a little questionnaire. But it's like a little mini CTF. You know, can you identify the uh, the C and C host? Um, you know, uh, uh, how many bytes are in the payload? Can you can you identify this payload? It's very cool. And uh, and Tom, what do you do? You have any uh, recommendations? Jasper didn't cover. Oh, uh, any? I would
2: say so. Sharkfest does put up the retrospectives every year, every, not every session, but almost all of the sessions are recorded. Um, so if you can't ever make it to SharkFest, Fest, you can watch it all on YouTube. They're great presentations. Uh, Betty Dubois has a great uh, discussion just about using Wireshark profiles. That's, that's I've found to be really powerful where you can set up all the columns, all your predefined filters, if you're going to start looking at packets, using profiles is the way to level up to the next level and and really start looking at them a lot faster and, and being more efficient at it, I would say.
3: Yeah, and Very there's also, a recommendation there's also Chris Greer, and he has YouTube videos okay. uh, specifically for TCP, and they're really short. Um, I, I think he does five to 10-minute videos um, uh, chapters and only talks about a specific thing. So these are great to, to basically learn about that specific uh, aspect of TCP.
2: Yeah, I'd echo that with Very Chris cool, Yeah, great, great t-
0: presenter. Yeah, I think when it comes to, to learning from from the experts, it's, it's everyone who has been a presenter or is presenting at Shark Fest. If if you're following those folks, um, then then you're in pretty good hands. I mean, these are all very familiar names uh, uh, that I hear who have been past presenters and and current as well. Very cool. Uh, Jasper and Tom, it's been really great having you guys on the podcast. Uh, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to catch up with you guys and, and find out where they can connect with you on social media. Um, Jasper, do you have a, a way people can reach out to you?
3: Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at PacketJ, that is Packet and J-A-Y. And uh, I have a blog at blog.packet-foo.com, where I put all the stuff that I need to remember and sometimes read up on how to do things.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much. And Tom, is there a, a place on social media where people can reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at Tom.
2: And if anyone wants to send me an email, it's Tom at CloudShark.io. So feel very, free to know.
0: yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and CloudShark uh, is, an, is an awesome utility. It's a great way uh, to, uh, to share packets between each other. Um, uh, I'm a fan, and I use it myself. And everyone knows me. Well, not everyone, but uh, if you're listening, hopefully you do. I'm ShowIP Interface Brief on Twitter, and uh, you can reach me at uh, showipinterfacebrief.blogspot.com. And uh, Jordan, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, it doesn't get thrown to me very often. Usually, I'm the one uh, managing this. So I'm I'm at Jordan on Twitter. Um, blogging is all done at networkcollective.com now. And so if you if you enjoy this, um, obviously we have a whole back catalog of all of our past episodes. You can go find that at networkcollective.com. If you'd like to subscribe and have our new episodes pushed to you. Uh, you can do that too. We're at iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and Spotify and all of the regular places. If you want to just go find links and make it easy, again, networkcollective.com is the host. Um, so we like to uh, engage with people on social media as well. So if you want to uh, chat and follow us, uh, chat with us or follow us there, we're at Net PC on Twitter. We are Network Collective on both LinkedIn and on Facebook. So I think, I think that's it. So thanks again and we will uh, see you next time.